have to say to us. Thank you for your word that cuts through to the very core and brings life, more life than we can imagine. And as Dennis speaks, Lord, would you uh, fill him with your spirit? Thank you for the time um, and energy you spend into preparing this now. And we pray you would use him for your glory. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And good morning to you and to those of you online. And last week we were, we were watching it online. And it's, it's great fun watching it online. But you know, there's something about being in the building, being with you face to face, seeing you all. And I know this is the time of year when people go on holiday. Some of you try to come, become like me. <laughs> You're there luxuriating in the sun. I don't need to do that because I'm blessed. <laughs> but the reality is that, you know, it's, it's a time of year when people try to relax and kick back. And as I say, top up their tans if they need to, get some rest, some refreshment, and some restoration, and some recreation. Great? That's great stuff. Well, last week, Kit did a fantastic job. In fact, she said she did that for the first time. I was like, whoa. I think, you know, she's a management accountant, I believe, by day. Is that correct? Yes. However, I'm sure that she will be looking at ordinanceship because, you know, unless the Lord takes you out of that, there's oil on you. <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And she did a fantastic job to talk to us about renewal. And it was wonderful, the stories she was sharing, that basically this. You know, when we come to that place where we come to the end of ourselves, when we have we've made our plans, we've made our decisions, we've done everything that we can, and then we come to the Lord, oh Lord, help us. It's at that point that God can be whatever it is we need to be. He needs to be for our need. He's our deliverer. He's the one who provides. He's the one that can come and rescue us. And it was great, the story she shared. In fact, by the way, if you weren't here, where were you? And secondly, get a chance to listen to that on podcast because it was a great message. So, today we're looking at reorientation. We see how God led the children of Israel out from the cruel oppression of the Egyptians. And as Kit said, when Moses actually came to, and went to Pharaoh and said to Pharaoh, look, let my people go, Pharaoh, as you know, wasn't particularly happy about that. It wouldn't be. It's free labor, isn't it? You're, not, you're never going to give up free labor, are you? And in fact, things got worse, not better. If you remember what happened, the Egyptians used to give them the straw, but he said, because you lot are lazy, you know what's going to happen? Same quota of bricks, but you have to get your own straw. Like some employees, I know. But anyway... <laughs> So things got worse before they got better. Spiritual principle there. I was only talking to my daughter and saying to her that when God says something to you, generally what happens, things get worse before they get better. It's usually a confirmation that it really was God and it wasn't just your imagination. So things got worse. And finally, you know, they actually got out from that cruel oppression. And what we read is that as they went through the wilderness, and I always think about it like this. If you were a nomad watching this group of people, that you would have been like, because they would have had a cloud over them by day 
and a pillar of fire by night to lead them. Now, that's not the kind of thing you see in the desert. A group of people, over a million people, and they've got this cloud so they don't get too sunburned, right? And they've got this pillar so that they could continue to walk during the day and during the night. Which must have been an incredible sight, if you think about it. Anyway, they are now being, God provides then for them light in the midst of darkness. And my assignment this morning is talking about how God reorientates us through that light. And we're going to see, as a congregation, how God leads us out of darkness so that the light leads and guides our life. You remember what John 10.10 said, you know, I've come to give you life, and a life that's more abundant. And it's the light which is the thing that's going to lead us into life. So, here we go. As you know, the Egyptians were in Egypt for 430 years, and in fact, they left 430 years to the day. It wasn't an accident. God knew that it was going to happen. Now, we read of Moses. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, he said this about Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So when Moses ran away, because as you know, he, he murdered an Egyptian, you know, thinking that he was going to bring about this deliverance by his own might and his own power. And of course, uh, the Israelites didn't see it like that. And of course, he ran off. So for 40 years now, he's in the wilderness and he's what? A shepherd. And then one day, he sees this burning bush, which is not an unnatural thing to see in the desert, but it's unusual because of the fact it's not burning up, it's not being consumed. So what was God doing in Moses over those 40 years? Well, one commentator put it like this. God took 40 years to get Moses, Egypt out of Moses, and then another 40 years to get Egypt, Moses, out of Moses. I'm sorry. It's oh. right, the word is in my heart, so it's no worry. <laughs> and so I don't go on eternally. <laughs> so God took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses. Thank you. And then he took another 40 years to get Moses out of Moses. You see, the wilderness, folks, is a place where God puts us through the process. Moses thought he could do it by his own power. So for 40 years, he's just a shepherd. By the time God comes to him, he can't even speak. This is someone who was mighty in word and deed. He's a broken, burned up, good for nothing. But with God, God can do something with him. And in the wilderness, you see, he experienced that sense of uselessness or brokenness, as we call it. The wilderness is not a place that you stay. It's a place that God uses to refine you, to make you realize that it's not your power, your giftedness, your anointing, your power, your good looks, all of that stuff. That's, God don't need any of that. But it sometimes takes a while for us to think that, to come to that conclusion that, Lord, oh, I thought it was all that study that I've done, the books that I have read, the education that I have, the heritage that I have. <laughs> no. You see, the scripture tells us he takes 
the weak things of this world to confound those who are wise. He takes the people that are not and he lifts up the people who are, to, to, to lift up the people who are not, who are some who think they're something. In other words, what I'm just trying to say to you here is wherever you've come from, whatever your background, whatever you, the things that you've done that you're ashamed of, God can still use you. So Moses was at the end of himself when he came there. He had gone through a period of reorientation in the wilderness. So, let's just develop this a little more. And the point I want to make to you is that, you see, Egypt is a picture of or type of the world. Egypt is a type of the world. The Egyptians had many different gods. They had wisdom, and they were into the dark arts as well. And, and Moses had to be freed up from all that rubbish. Then God had to deal with him in terms of his own power, you know, ability. And then finally, he now has to bring this slave nation who have lived in Egypt with all its values, with all its wisdom, with all its stuff that was ungodly, and in the wilderness, he has to extrapolate it from them through the process. So, we live in a society that is deeply scripted in what? Secular humanism. And, and Matt Seymour did an awesome job defunking all of the isms and ologies that we live with and the meta narrative that we are faced with as Christians, which is anti Christian. You need to listen to that. I said to, I said to him, those two vision talks, they're a series. <laughs> awesome job in dealing with that. Friends, you don't even realize it, but much of the secular humanism that we have up against is seeping into the church. We call it syncretism, where we take a bit of this and a bit of that, and we add it to what God has said. That's not the way. So that's why reorientation needs to take place. So we know who we are. We say it a lot. The story you live out is the story you, the story you live in is the story you live out. Man, there's so much depth to that. I'd love to develop that. <laughs> so, we have a society where the Judeo-Christian principles that we have lived with that have formed the basis of our law have been eroded. So how can we as God's people experience the light of overcoming the darkness within us? And how can we walk in that light? Well, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light. John introduces Jesus in John 1, 5. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has not been made. In him was life. And the life was the what? The light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. So if we want the light in our lives, then we need to allow what? His word to guide our lives. Which means we need to do three things here. We need to read it. We need to meditate on it, and we need to live it out. We need to read it. 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, The word of God 
is profitable for teaching, correction, for training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> I grew up here at this church. My dad used to preach over there, 1968 to 1974, from the pulpit there. He was a train driver. He worked, he worked shifts. But one thing I remember about my dad, didn't matter what time he came home for work, the first thing you would see him in the big bedroom there in 49 France Road, he'd have his Bible open, his Matthew Henry commentary, before he went to bed. He's now 83 years of age, and as I've said to you before, if I ring him before 9 o'clock, I cannot speak to him. I said, well, Mum, where is he? My mum's Jamaican. He's upstairs reading his Bible. He will speak to you later. Even at 83, the Word of God is still central to him and central to my mum and dad. And they often say to me, trust the Lord. He will provide. Don't lean on your own understanding. And always acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Friends, we live in a society where everybody reads everything other than the Bible. We read social media. We're there with our Instagram accounts. We're reading this podcast and that podcast. And then people say to me, well, I don't really read the word. I can't read. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is the book of life. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his sheep and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 100 and Psalm 100 verse 3. In other words, if he made us and he gives us the word of God as a guideline to us, why wouldn't I spend more time reading that than the Guardian? Which I do read. <laughs> right? I want his word to be in me. Reading it is key. Then meditate on it. Joshua 1.8 said, This book of the Lord shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. Meditate means that when you read it, you ask the passage question. You say, Lord, how does that apply to my life? How can that become real for me? How can the word become flesh, incarnational? You meditate on it, that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. Then will your way be prosperous, and then you will have good success. So we're not just reading it, but we're meditating it. We're inculcating it. We're asking God to, to apply his word to our hearts. And we need that for such a time as this. When we in our nation, the meta-narrative is a secular humanist one. It's an anti-Christian one. And slowly but surely, Christianity and Judeo-Christian prisons are being pushed and marginalized. And even in the church, we have been impacted by that. We also need to live it out. James said, you know, it's not enough just to, to know the word. You've got to do it. You've got to live it. So the word has to become flesh. You see, we talk about it in terms of Jesus, but the word, the word of God, it needs to become flesh. When you eat your dinner, and obviously if you're a vegan, you're not eating steak, but whatever it is that you eat, yes, Joe, <laughs> it, 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 it comes a part of you, doesn't it? You eat the food, the food that goes into your body, you chew it, masticate the food, and then ultimately it becomes a part of you. The word of God is the same. We've got to live it out. It's not just enough for us to just read the liturgy, and we do the liturgy at least three times a week, don't we, Chris? Yeah, 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 we're at the prayer meeting, those of us are there. And we read the liturgy, and it's, but by the way, most people think, oh, the liturgy, oh, I don't like the liturgy. 
It's the word of God. If you love the word of God, you'll love the liturgy. The dawn from on high shall break upon us. This is from God. You know, you're laughing. But you see, it's Luke chapter 1. It's wonderful. It's, the, it's good stuff, isn't it? Right, Gracie? Yeah. The, the, the liturgy is good because it's the word of God. If you love the word, you'll, you'll love the liturgy. So we need to live it out. The psalmist said this, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. So if the word is in you, then you have light in you, you're reorientated, you're able to walk in the right way. I know this is heresy, but I will continue with it. <laughs> it, it this is not deep. This is, this is the stuff that we need to know. This is why we need to have the word of God in us. That's why it needs to have a priority in our life. The writer of the Hebrews, and Matt mentioned this, said this, Hebrews 4.12, the, the word of God is what? Living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and bone and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when you read the word, it's not you reading the word. The word is reading you. So when you sit down there and you have your Bible and you're sitting there and you expose your heart to the word of God. Sorry for the people who can't see me on camera. You think you're reading the word, not so. The word is reading you. It's judging those thoughts and those intents, those attitudes that you had towards a certain person. And the Holy Spirit kind of, hmm, was that the right attitude to have? You were a bit gruff there, weren't you? Hmm, I know. And what do you need to do? Ah, oh, I need to make confession. Yes. See, that's the word becoming flesh. You know, Eileen and I have been married for 40 years, this May, I think it was. And you know, because of the pandemic, we've had to have what we call a, a truncated celebration you know, throughout the year, you know, like a progressive feast. And you know, every now and then, we are gruff. I am, I confess it, more so maybe than Eileen. But sometimes, because we have things like technology, I'll stand up so you're not having to look. You know, sometimes we just have to text each other and say, sorry, I was gruff. <laughs> I know some of you never do that, but sometimes we need to. <laughs> but you see, it's, we know the word. You see, well, I've, got, I've got you. <laughs> sometimes you just need to text it if you can't say it. Don't say it with flowers, say it with words. <laughs> so the word becomes flesh. We confess our sins one to another. We ask for forgiveness. Now, we also have some help with this. As we meditate on God's word, we can also, we are also empowered by who? The Holy Spirit. So we're not just reading the word alone. We have the Holy Spirit. And this is what John said. John said, but the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come, whom the Father will send in my name. Who what? Will teach you all the things and remind you everything I've said to you. He also said in John 16, 3. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into what? All truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit is also there. So the Holy Spirit, you're reading the word, the Holy Spirit's there and he's bringing light and revelation. And by the way, the Holy Spirit isn't there so you can become a theologian. The Holy Spirit doesn't just reveal more theological truth about the Bible. The Holy Spirit is actually, you're saying, something into your life. I'm no good. I'm never going to turn out to be anything and that. 
then the Holy Spirit, you read John 10 and says that I've come, that you're going to have life and that's more abundant. And you think, hold on a minute. God's saying that, or let me put it this way. He says, you are precious. You are mine. I've bought you at a price. You belong to me. I'm your father. The plans I have for you are plans for blessing and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. That's what God says to you. And you're saying, oh, I'll never turn out to be anything. Or appearances. You, you're worthless. So the Holy Spirit comes and says to you, now that's what you think, but this is the truth. The plans I have for you, Matt, are plans for blessing and not for calamity, to give you a future, to build up your ministry, to make you effective, to be, have significance in the kingdom of God. And then you have the lie that you'll never turn out to be anything. Or you have the lie your parents didn't want you. Or your mother didn't want you. And then one day, by the Spirit of God, you were reading and you realized that God is your Father. He knew you before you were born. And he had a plan for you. Now you have a choice. Are you going to listen to the truth of what God's Spirit is saying to you by his word or the lie that you've been living under? And what happens when you believe the truth? The truth sets you Thank you. That's how reorientation works. The Word and the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth of what God says about us, not what our experience or our circumstances or our friends or our parents or our history says about us. God has a plan for your life. You're anointed and appointed as a son and daughter of God with all the privileges. Let me just say it. I don't need white privilege or black privilege because I've got kingdom privilege. I'm a son of God. When I walk into a place, I know who I am. I'm at the top table. Why? Because I'm a son of God. I belong to Jesus. God's my father. If you've got a dad like mine, why would you be worried when you walk into a place? You say, I'm the only black person in here. So what? I never walk like that. I believe that I was a son of God and I look him right in the eye. I belong to Jesus. Hello, who are you? (laughs) Who's your dad? My dad's bigger than your dad. (laughs) I developed that another time. So then, better bring this home. (laughs) Oh, this is good. Now, last point. How can we walk in the light? Now, there are a number of ways I could have taken this. But let's go to John. John says this, one John. This is the measure we've had from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him there is what? No darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So John is saying God is light, which means he's totally transparent. There's no darkness. He doesn't even give a shadow, is what James says. So if we want to have fellowship with him, we need to walk in the light, which means, and Matt said it, prophetic word, and it just confirmed it, that we need to come out from hiding. We need to, the barriers, come out. Which means we need to make ourselves known. Look, friends, that's not easy because we don't like vulnerability. 
We don't like to share our stuff. <laughs> Look, let me just say, as a church, it needs to be a safe place because people are not going to share this stuff if they feel their place isn't safe, i.e. they're going to find out that their business is being talked around the church. It's got to be a safe place. Confidentiality is there forever. Obviously, there are some caveats on that from a safeguarding point of view, but the reality is it needs to be a safe place. It's where we come out from hiding, where we show vulnerability. Bless God, Matt, S and Matt T and, and Pete, they're very good at sharing their vulnerabilities. They're good at it. They do it. And when I was at the vineyard, they were very good at that as well. So we need to come out from hiding. But one of the other things John says, which is kind of tough for us, is this. He says this. It's possible for us to be present to each other and the world and everything can be well between us and God, but yet have issues with our brothers and sisters. You know, historical issues such as unresolved issues between people in the congregation. Look, I've been in church long enough to know that this person sits over there, that person sits over there, they don't talk. You know, when they walk. Yeah. Or you got people that you know, but you've got unresolved issues with. Yeah. Yeah, you say, we all know them, don't we? <laughs> yeah. You see, and God's saying, look, it's not enough for you to be there. Yeah, we love Jesus. But when you say that, brother? <laughs> see, that's not walking in the light. That's deceiving ourselves. That's religion. Because that's what religion does. You know, we have a form of godliness without the power. So what's the antidote? Well, we know what the antidote is. We need to confess our sins to God. We're all good at that because we say the confession without, you know, we say it so much, particularly in the Church of England, that we, it becomes just like an assonance. We just say it all the time. No, we confess our sins to God, but here's the touchstone, friends. We confess our sins one to another. Ooh, that's not so easy. Yeah? Now, if the person is dead, I understand. <laughs> right? But could it be today that it's a time for us to get some of those unresolved issues dealt with and walk in the light reorientation. See, this isn't some esoteric reorientation. This is the real deal. That's how the Bible is. The Bible says, you're walking in the light and you're out of fellowship without your brother, then you are deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. <laughs> so, we need to confess our sins one to another. Husband and wife, it's easy to do. If it's a parent, it's more, more difficult to do. You know those issues with people that you've had historically over the years, family, otherwise, that you know you need to resolve so that you can walk in the light and get reorientated. Because what God is saying is that if you want fellowship with me, it, the basis is this, that you walk in the light as I walk in the light, which means that there must be not be dark areas in your life where you don't want me to come in there and touch that and deal with that because you just it's a no-go area. Is this good preaching this morning or what? <laughs> now, what I'm trying to say to you, you see, we don't just come to church to be entertained. We come to church so that the Word of God and the Spirit of God can touch us in those areas where we need to know His light so we can have freedom and liberty and stand fast in the liberty for which Christ has set us free in the area that He's working in in our lives. That's what it's about. Come, ministry band. Come, ministry team. Not ministry team. Um, band, please come back. I need to finish now before I get thrown out of here. So... We need to ask God to show us those areas where we have broken relationships. Those areas in our lives where we're not walking in the light. 
where we need to be reorientated. Yes, we need to read his word so that our hearts remain soft and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to apply it. But we also, in our relationships, we need to walk in the light as he in the light. Not just only with God, the vertical, but also horizontally with each other. I'd like you to stand, if you would. And as I was preparing this, I got this word, and it was just simple, this word, betrayal. You know, I was reading Psalm 55, and I'd experienced betrayal, and it wasn't nice. And in it, this is what the psalmist said about betrayal. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, a woman, my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in the throne. Psalmist was betrayed by someone that was a close friend. And friends, I've experienced that. And it was sometime after the event that when I was reading the scriptures, I read that and I thought, oh my God. The person who's my friend, who worked together, we shared God's word together, we ministered together. He was the one that betrayed me. So what was our response to that? Well, God calls us to love and he calls us to forgive. And maybe you need to bring that person before the Lord. And yes, there was, we don't diminish the pain that you would have experienced in that moment when you realized who it was. Shock, horror, terror. Your insides being turned inside out. But God was as much there as he is now. And he comes and he and reminds us that Jesus himself was betrayed by one of his very own with a kiss. And what he wants to do is he wants to take the bitterness of that moment and the pain of that moment away. And as you release forgiveness to that person for using you in the way that they did so you can experience his mercy his kindness his goodness as he just holds you in his arms of love as he dries your tears and as he ministers hope and healing into that hurt and as the forgiveness of God flows through you to them, so his mercy and compassion flows on you. And you experience healing in the deeper parts of your heart. And you're able to rise up. And you're able to live and to love. You see, friends, the, the thing about it is the, the enemy's plan is to so fill you with bitterness so that you are totally ineffective in anything that God would want you to do because you're full of hurt and anger. 
But let me just tell you, God has a plan for your life. As you confess, as you release it to him, he can pour in oil and he can pour in wine. He can heal you. He can cause you to rise again. He can cause, to, he cause you to be everything that he intended you to be because he did it with Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was betrayed and seen as a, as a rapist by Potiphar's wife. But God worked in his heart, worked in his heart, worked in his heart, worked in his heart. So when his brothers came to him, they said, oh, don't do this. Don't take it out on us for what we did. And Jesus, Joseph said this, you meant it for evil, God, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result. And I'm telling you, friends, God has a result that he's going to bring about in your life as you move on from the event, as you receive his forgiveness, as you receive his healing, and you begin to walk into what he has for you. So reorientation is about living our lives in the light of his word. It's allowing his word and his spirit to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. It's about walking in transparency and openness with God and each other. Intimacy. It's making confession of those attitudes and behaviors which are not God's best for us. And receiving his forgiveness and releasing his forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. It's being willing to be vulnerable in our dealing with others. Being kind, compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another even as Christ has forgiven you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dennis. Um, let's respond. Let's just begin by um, worshipping together. Um, we'll sing and then uh, we've got some time before we bring the service to a close. So let's worship together. Your breath in our lungs, so we pour. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We've got a few moments before we bring the service to a close. So once again, we're just going to wait on the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? Thank you, Lord, that you guide us through the wilderness by your word, by your spirit, your presence, and in community. And so, Lord, we turn to you. We turn to you now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just wait a minute. We'll just shift your posture just to be still. Stillness is so much a part of our faith. An acknowledgement that God is God. Thank you.